0: You're listening to a sermon podcast from Church at the Gates, where we desire for real people to meet the real Jesus and experience real change. We pray that God might use the next few minutes to draw you closer to Him. Today, like we said earlier, is Sanctity of Life Sunday. And so we're going to talk a little bit about abortion uh, from a biblical perspective. We're going to have uh, Jennifer Bartlett from uh, Care Net, Missoula, come and chat with us. And I just, it's an it's opportunity for us to speak about what it looks like to, to think biblically about this issue and to love courageously as well. And so we're going to do that. But I want to, I just want to pray briefly before uh, we enter into that. Will you bow your heads as we pray to invite the Lord Uh, to do work. God, we are grateful that your word is living and active, that we don't have to drum up meaning for it or drum up um, uh, the profound nature of it, but God, it exists in power. So we pray that it would not return void today. We pray that it would pierce, as, as the author of Hebrews says, to joint and marrow, to separate soul and spirit. God, that we would continually be formed by your word. That our lives, the way we think, the way we love, would grow into conformity with your word. God, and we know that as we do that, we conform to your son. So help us conform more to your son and more to your word for your glory and our joy. Amen. We uh, like I said, Sanctity of Life, Human Life Sunday. If you've never heard about it, it was actually instituted in 1984 by Ronald Reagan. And he said, We need to have a we need to have a moment in the calendar. Uh, The third Sunday of every January, uh, to remember uh, what abortion is and the importance to create a whole life ethic, not only in America, but in the church. And so, since then, churches on the third Sunday of January have celebrated Sanctity of Human Life Sunday to pray for the end of abortion, to pray for the ministry of those who've experienced abortion, and and really to, to as church, as a people, as the people of God, contend for life uh, and to be about that. For perspective, Roe v. Wade was repealed in 2022, uh, but it was enacted in 1972, I believe. And uh, in that period, 63 million abortions took place. That's a staggering number. It's almost, it's almost impossible to, like, to grab your, grab your mind about, about how many people that is. But I, here's what that is. If you took California, if you took Oregon, if you took Washington, Idaho, Utah, Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming, and Montana, and wiped them off the map. That's 63 million people. That's the impact that this has had in lives. And so we, we're here this morning, not necessarily to talk about political things, though I'll just say this to you, anyone who says, you know, you shouldn't legislate morality, doesn't understand that every piece of legislation is moral, and so our job as Christians is to think biblically and enact whatever we can like when we think about our public our public facing voice and all of that like Christians you are to do everything you can to bring good to other people's lives, and to help restrain evil in other people's lives as God defines it. And so I just, I want to, you know, there's going to, it's an election year, and so this is going to be a political issue, and there's going to be a lot of misinformation and a lot of uh, using words to obfuscate truth. And so uh, my my goal is not really to address that today, but what I want to do in the intervening few minutes, I want to spend about 10 minutes and briefly give a biblical understanding of abortion. Uh, And this is not new. It's not new to me. It's not new to the Word of God. It's not new to church history. It's not new to uh, church theology, uh, that this isn't something we're making up now, that Christians have believed this almost uniformly uh, throughout the millennia. And so I want to give three pillars of understanding uh, abortion biblically, and then I want to spend the balance of my time uh, with Jennifer Bartlett, ask her a few questions, to see what it looks like, one, to be on the front lines, but also what it would take for a church, our church, to become a place or people who had had an abortion, people, men who had encouraged an abortion, could come, be heard, be seen, and be loved. It is easy, if we're just being honest, it is really easy to vote, really easy to post something on Facebook, really easy to post something on Instagram or whatever, much harder to move towards people in compassion. And so I, I wanna sit there at the end uh, and, and move our church towards compassion. Uh, and, and as we think about like the biblical framework for this, The underpinning idea that we operate from here at Church of the Gates is that the Bible is the Word of God. That it's how we know Him, it's how we know ourselves, it's how we know about redemption, and that the Bible is the primary and final authority for how we live and think. And so if the Bible creates a framework for how to think, we best get in line with that as best as we can. And so as we talk about this, like, my goal is not to convince you of what I think. My goal is to put you, put the Word of God in front of you, and you got to wrestle with that. Like Your job is to take the words of God and find ways to apply it to your life in ways that seem uh, right uh, before the Lord. So three pillars, number one, for understanding abortion biblically, and we're going to fly through these pretty quickly. Number one is the image of God gives mankind dignity, value, and worth. And we grab this from the end of Genesis 1. The Genesis narrative, and it goes like this, Genesis 127. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So central to our understanding is that we are not accidents. Uh, we are not accidental happenstance; that we are created beings by a creator. This gives us meaning, and it gives us a why behind why we live. Uh, we're not products of chance or happenstance. That God created all of humanity, and it says here that He He gave them His image. So, uh, what well, like we could write books and sermons on this. Here's a couple of things. What that means: one, we are unique in all of creation. That no other aspect of creation bears his image, which means when you think about it, when you you follow the narrative, we are, humanity is God's most prized possession. Among all that there is in creation, we bear his image. He wants us and loves us and and has given us image, which which means among other, other things that we share characteristics with him, not every characteristic, but we also share souls that the image of God gives us a soul, that we could commune with him, that we could know him and be known by him. It is also the the underpinning for how we treat each other, that if every man, woman, and child ever born has been given the image of God, then every man, woman, and child is worthy of value, dignity, and respect out of the gate. Not because of something they do, not because of something they offer. They have value because they they have the image of God, and that image of God was was not earned by them, but it was bestowed upon them God. And so as Christians think about how to interact with people we disagree with or people don't like or or people groups or or whatever it is, Christians are bound by the image of God in others to bring people value, assign them dignity and worth because of what God has done for them in the image of God. So that's kind of like the, the foundation here is that we are image bearers, and this is a special gift only given to humanity. The takeaway here is all humanity bears the image of God, and each person has dignity, worth, and value hardwired into them because of that. That is to say, again, it is not something people earn based on their value, based on their money, based on what they can do for society or any of that. That all all men, women, children have ever been born have been stamped with the image of God and stamped them with worth, dignity, and value. Second pillar is life begins at conception. If, uh, if pillar one is true, that, that the image of God is within every man, woman, and child, then one of the next questions as part of this debate is, well, when does life really begin? Right? Like, if it can begin here or here or here, then anything before that point, we don't have to respect. And so one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is like, well, when does, when does the Bible see life beginning so I want to read three passages, one from Isaiah, Jeremiah, and, and uh, Psalm 19, 119. But what I really want you to pay attention to is the eyes, the me's, and the you's that are present in here. That personhood is a primary definer in the womb according to these passages. Psalm 119, verse 13, and then 15 and 16. That David says, for you formed me, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Isaiah 44, verse 24. Thus says says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. Jeremiah 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. The eyes, the me's, the you's. There is, the prominent theme here is personhood in the womb. That the writers understand that what's happening within the womb, one, is a miraculous work of God. That God is actively knitting together life there. That there is something happening profound and miraculous and deliberate by God. It shows, it shows a transcendent God. The, 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 the God of Scripture is transcendent, yet imminent, yet close. And we see him intricately weaving and, and knitting, like this is what I love about the psalmist, is he doesn't say like laying bricks on top of bricks. It's not a clunky process. It is a deliberate, beautiful, loving, caring process. Why? Whereby? The Lord miraculously begins to weave together in the womb babies who will be born. The takeaway here is that God personally and lovingly knits together image bearing life from the first possible moment, conception. We don't don't have to say, hey, the ancients didn't understand the word conception. They understood that life begins in the womb, and they understood that at the earliest possible moment when God created life, he begins to knit together that life. We have a technical word for it, conception, but the the testimony of scripture, church history, and all of this has been from the moment of conception. There has been life worth protecting and having dignity. Third pillar this morning is taking innocent lives is murder. Taking innocent lives is murder. Exodus 20, verse 13, four words, Moses says in in part of the 10 commandments, you shall not murder. Proverbs 6, 16 and 17, um, Solomon displays the Lord's hatred for this. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, a haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. It actually tracks, it follows really naturally that if if God has given the image of God, into people, that he would hate something, he would deeply hate something that would do violence irreversibly to the image of God. Murder being an irreversible evil, that if you take someone's life, that person's not going to recover from that. And like in our lives, we know there's a ton of evil and trauma we will experience. Much of that we can recover from We can recover and and, and the Lord redeems in parts of our lives in ways that maybe take time or are right away, but the Lord, Lord can do something with that. Murder is an irreversible evil and an irreversible violence done against an image bearer. And so God gave us his image to promote good and to restrain evil. Murder is irreversible, not unforgivable, but one does not recover easily from death, generally speaking. In Christ, murder is forgivable, but not reversible. So the takeaway here is the taking of human life is murder. So briefly, if we just kind of walk down five really quick conclusions, and then we will get Jen up here. Number one, uh, there's life within the womb of every pregnant woman. That we, we, it is not just a clump of cells. And if you think about that, it's just a clump of cells. You're just a tall clump of cells then. (laughs) It doesn't work. Anyway. We, we recognize that there is something profound, meaningful, and worthy of protection in the womb. Number two, life within the womb is knitted together by God. That it is not accidental. That there is a blessing, a present closeness that God has in the womb to his creation as he's knitting it together. Number three, life within the womb is worthy of dignity and value. Uh, and It's worth that because it's given to him by God. Given to it by God. Number four, life within the womb has the same worth, dignity, and value as the mother. That is to say, that just because that life is unrealized necessarily or not born yet or smaller, or has a defect, we don't get to say it's worth less. That the image of God is stamped on every man, woman, and child, womb or not, and they are all worthy of the same protection, worth, dignity, and value. Number five, life within the womb is innocent, and to take that life would be murder three pillars. Every man, woman, and child is made in the image of God. Number two, life begins at conception. And, and because life is worthy of uh, protection and dignity and value and worth based on the image of God, to take that life would be sin, would be murder. And so I just want to say this, like Christians, like our job is to confess that abortion is murder while at the same time being deeply concerned about the reasons, the conditions, and sometimes the separate, the really desperate situations of mothers. That, like, compassion and truth are, they ride together. They ride or die. Like, I, I don't know, I mean, that's really what I want to say. That, like, the Christians who have truth without compassion... Are, half, are, are halfway there, and Christians who have compassion without truth are halfway there. They're, the best Christian work is following Jesus where he looks out of the crowd in Matthew 9 and says, uh, they're like sheep without a shepherd, they're harassed, and his compassion moves forward in truth. And our job is not, to, is not just to say truth. It's not just to be compassionate. These two things for the Christian must find a way to be difficultly yet biblically interwoven for love. As a Christian, if we confess abortion is murder, then, there, then we can't allow it to continue. If part of our job as Christians is to restrain evil, as God defines it, and promote good, then we must do all we can to leverage against evil. Did you know this? In 2022, when Roe v. Wade was repealed at the federal level, A few states had trigger laws. Texas had one, and it outlawed abortion the day after that. 55,000, Texas averaged 55,000 abortions per year. That number has dropped by 98% since then. Your vote, your voice matters and has an impact in this in a way that it hasn't in a long time. I don't want to talk about politics anymore. (laughs) But I want to ask a couple questions. What might it look like for the people of God not only try to vote abortion out of existence, but to reach into the lives of the men and women who are faced with these decisions? What would it look like for a church to become a place where women who have had an abortion and the men who have aided and encouraged that can find acceptance, grace, and comfort? What would it look like for the people of God to be as pastorally present as they are culturally prophetic about abortion? I wanna spend some time asking ourselves what we would need to do within ourselves, within our church, to become a place where people who've experienced abortion, people who are questioning that, could come, be embraced, and be supported without shame and judgment, that we could be a place for sinners. I'd like to invite Jen Bartlett to come on up. Will you give her a round of applause as she comes up and uh, spend some time with us? Jen, thanks for coming and and bringing like your whole team. They, they all go here,
1: but yes, I brought my whole team. <laughs> I did unmute it. Perfect. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Uh
0: It uh, has happened. The Church of the Gates takeover has happened at CareNet. It kind for of for sure has. <laughs> <laughs> sure has. <laughs> well, listen, like we're. Uh, I'm so glad you spent time with us. I know that a ton of other churches would love to have you here, mm-hmm. and we're grateful that. Uh, you're gonna spend some time with us. I'd love for you to start off with just tell us, tell, tell us a little about what is CareNet? Like, if you yeah. don't know about what CareNet is, how long have you been there? And talk to us about the general uh, general mission, vision, and, and kind of the myriad of ways that, that you guys minister in these areas.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, I'm Jennifer Bartlett. I have been with CareNet almost 11 years as the executive director, um, which is crazy to me. Um, and we exist to help men and women in the midst of an unplanned pregnancy know what their options are and walk through them so that they know that they are cared for and loved and that they have somebody in their corner. And we really we do that in three ways. We offer free or low-cost medical um, care, um, which could be a pregnancy test, ultrasound, STI testing uh, for men and women, um, we offer parenting classes and uh, pregnancy classes. So once they decide, hey, yeah, I'm keeping this baby, we're like, all right, let's get you hooked up with some parenting classes because parenting is difficult and you're going to need all the tools you can in your tool belt. Um, and then with the parenting classes that we offer for men and women, we offer mentorship as well. So, and I think this is my favorite thing that we do at CareNet because it looks a lot like discipleship. Yeah. And it means that a mom is going to be partnered with a woman who has been down the parenting road before. And it could be like, oh, yeah, I remember the terrible twos. Here's what I and did. And threes and four. Wait, and, sorry. yeah, I remember it all, even though I tried to forget." <laughs> <laughs> um, we've had men go through our mentorship program, and they've gone through the whole parenting class, and they're like, I, I still want to meet with my mentor. And the mentor's like, okay, so let's... Let's write a budget. Do you know how to do that? No, I don't. I don't know how to do that. All right. Well, let's write a resume. And so just our our dads are learning how to be good parents and how to be men, I guess. Like that feels weird to say, but you know, like they don't have that person in their life that's yeah. teaching them how to write a resume or how to fill out a job application. Um so our mentors do that, and I love it because eventually the conversation turns to why are you doing this? Like, why are you caring about me so much? And our mentors get to go because Jesus loves you and he cares about you and he wants you to be whole. And so I love that. Yeah. Um, and then the third way is we have a ton of resources, whether it's within CareNet or we are connected enough to the community to know what our clients need. So in our office, we provide diapers, baby clothes, maternity clothes. um, And then we are connected with enough community resources that if they need housing, we, we can connect them with that. If they need help um, getting out of domestic violence situation, we can connect them there. So, um, Yeah, that's kind of a broad scope of all that we do.
0: Yeah, and what I love about what you just said is I think one of the, like, cultural misnomers, uh, especially in particular from, like, Planned Parenthood, Mm -hmm. right, is that uh, you all don't have resources that... Like, it it is the, the way... It's holistic care. Mm-hmm. It's not just okay. uh, an ultrasound. It's, it's formula. You guys gave away like half a million diapers last year or something like that. Okay. I made that up. It's a lot of diapers, though. It's
1: like 8,000.
0: 8,000. I was... <laughs> you were so close. So close. <laughs> 492,000 off. That's okay. That's for this year. Uh, but like, like, I do, I love that like it's holistic and it's not like you want to provide solutions that grow and create character and help people really mm-hmm. move, like men and women, move beyond this. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about what you guys do for folks, like women who come in uh, who are considering an abortion. What's that like? Uh, and I mean, I imagine that's—I don't even—I don't even know what I would do.
1: Uh, I think when we we get a phone call and a woman scheduled an appointment, she like. We kind of tease out questions, so we have an idea if they're like, "Oh yeah, I'm going I plan on keeping the baby, or, um, "Oh yeah, I think I," uh, I'm not sure what I'm gonna do. Uh, one, I think we all have this like <laughs> panic moment. <laughs> and they're like, okay, we got this. We can do this. We do this all the time, um, and then we pray. And we're uh, Carrie um, Kaufman, who is somewhere in here. She is amazing at disarming people's fear and allowing them to just feel safe and so that they can answer the questions of like why why do I feel this way why why am I um what's holding me back from parenting versus thinking I need to have an abortion and so she teases that out and then we can come around that person and be like all right so all those resources I just told you about here's how we can like and we almost inundate them with resources so that they know that they're cared for. Yeah. And then we follow up and we're like, so, how are you doing? Like, Carrie's like a hound dog. And I mean that in the best <laughs> way. Like, she'll just keep, oh, there you are. <laughs> she just, like, calls them a week, calls them in two weeks. Like, how are you doing? What yeah. do you need? How can I help you? Yeah. And it's it's beautiful. Like
0: Your ministry is not transactional. No. It's really personal, really persistent. Yeah. And well, I love that about what you all do. Could we? I want to just change a little bit. I want to talk about you know 2022. Mm-hmm. Roe v. Wade was repealed at the national level, yeah. and uh, states had you know a bunch of like Texas had a trigger law or whatever that went into effect. Talk to us about because that was a huge deal. It was, yeah. it was a massive deal. Talk to us about how the ministry landscape has changed uh, post Roe and what it looks like to be uh, a pregnancy support center. Mm-hmm. Uh, in light of that decision, what has changed and what does it look like Mm kind of now?
1: So in Montana, the, we didn't have any trigger laws. We actually are pretty, um, our constitution is written in a way where abortion remains legal until fetal uh, viability, which is about 24 weeks. Um, All that to say is in Montana, it, Abortions were still happening even after Roe got overturned. Um, And what we've seen is people coming from Idaho or other states where they were triggered coming to get care. Um, I think we've seen a change in the landscape um, with telehealth. And that kind of started in 2020, honestly, where women could go and talk to their doctor and get an abortion pill without really having a lot of medical care in person really none and so they were getting the abortion pill in the mail and um, in their own bathrooms administering and having an abortion and we've seen a lot of women um, realize much sooner the pain of the abortion and what the like what has like oh my gosh what did I just do like Mm. Um, because it's not in a sterile doctor's office, it's in their own bathroom it's um and so for us we for a while we were seeing a downtick in pregnancy tests because you don't i don't need to go get a pregnancy test. I can just talk to my doctor on the phone um and we saw a more um an uptick of people needing material assistance and um, parenting classes. And I think in 2023, we've kind of seen more people come in for pregnancy tests, but, um, not the same amount of numbers that we were seeing pre, um, pre COVID. Uh, so.
0: So in one sense, in one sense, it was great that Roe v. Wade was, was repealed, Mm -hmm. but certain states like we have the, uh, if you're not familiar with Montana legislature, we have the Armstrong bill, which is Montana's version of Roe v. Wade. And so long as that as long as that is effective in the Montana legislature, abortion will always be legal in Montana. Mm -hmm. And so you know, that that's what you want to if you want to talk about political stuff like that's a that's a great thing for you to know about. But I also think you know that was it was a great victory and yet like telehealth also made it easier for women to do this on their own in really traumatic ways and and also like it kind of took out the middleman so to speak of of the doctor's visits. Um, How does I mean you just kind of you kind of referenced it. Can you kind of put some flesh on uh, or uh, what's it like uh, as you encounter women who've had abortion or, or men who are connected with it? And I think I say men who are connected with it uh, because men who encourage mm-hmm. uh, and uh, encourage their partners to get abortion, like they're not unscathed. Right. Uh, they they come away uh, different uh, differently connected. And so uh, talk to us about what that's like for a woman and, and, and yeah. the impact that that has.
1: Yeah. Um, so, just so you guys know, one in four women have had an abortion, or, and that, that number is sta- the same in the church as it is outside the church, um, and then one in five men have been an active participant in an abortion. So, it's, um, it's a very big issue. Like, if there is 100 women in this room, 25 of us have had an abortion, um, which that's a lot. Yeah. Um, and so I think because it's so prevalent, the, the impact is huge. Like, um, in my life, I had somebody close to me have an abortion. And if you were to look at her life, you would be like, man, she's successful. She's running a business. She's like 40 under 40. Um, but when you get her alone, she doesn't talk about personal things. She's very, like, guarded. Um, she cries when she sees babies. like. Um, and so I think there's, uh, there's that response. And then there's people that um, have taken their own life because of the pain of the abortion. Um, and so the impact is huge and i think a lot of times we want to push it down and be like oh it it was just a clump of cells it wasn't right. that big a deal right. like um but i think for women and who have experienced abortion i think at some point it catches up with them and they realize i i did that and um it's really hard I I haven't had a lot of experience with men and yeah. abortion, but f- um, the few times I've talked to men who have participated, there's a lot of shame around it and a lot of guilt for making that choice. Yeah. Um, and it might not be immediate. Again, it might be 20, 50 years later, but it's still there. Like yeah, yeah.
0: our souls testify to that at some point, and yeah. you can only you can only put that off for so long. Yeah. yeah. Uh, talk to us about uh, like how a church can become a place where women and men in these situations can find uh, compassion, comfort, and grace. Like what's it, what does it look like? Because I don't think it's as easy as just saying, hey, vote against abortion or whatever mm-hmm. and, and, and have a sermon. I, I think it requires a culture uh, of some form of acceptance. And What does that look like? Like, what would you if you were in front of the church right now? Uh, <laughs> what, like, what, what? How would you encourage? How would you encourage the men and women here uh, to think about this? To to create space for people who have experienced this hardship.
1: Um, yeah. So, I think it starts individually. Um, and it's uh, Deuteronomy talks twenty five times about to the Israelites, like remember where you were, remember what I brought you out of. And so I think there's a level of, we need to remember our own humanity. Like I don't know what choice I would make. I can say I would never have an abortion. I don't know what choice I would make if I was homeless, not knowing where my kids were going to sleep the next night, like not having food, not having a job. Like I don't, I can say I would never, but do I know that if all the cards are stacked against me that that's what's going to happen? Like, so I think we need to remember that um, our own humanity, I think we need to remember that, like, we've all been in those moments where, like, life is hard. Uh, I was a foster parent for seven years. My daughter has now aged, and I've adopted her, so no longer a foster parent. And I remember pretty early on, I was like, what have I done? I'm exhausted. Why am I doing this? And I was like, "All right, I'm calling the caseworker. I don't have to put myself through this." And instead, I called the therapist, and she was like, "It's a, it's a permanent choice." Like, mm. and um, I think if we don't have people in our lives that are going to remind us that it's a permanent choice, mm. um, we will get in our own heads and we'll just be like, "All right, it, it's fine." I'm gonna go and live my life and it'll be great. Um, And that's for a foster kid that like, and I know that my life would be like awful without her because she is precocious and strong-willed and I love that about her. And um, so uh, I can't imagine like, so we need to remember that we're all at a hard point. Um, And then we need to listen. I think there, a study by CareNet National says that two thirds of women were in church within a month of having their abortion, um, at least once a month. Um, So that means on Sunday they were here and on Wednesday they went and had an abortion. And those women did not feel safe. They, two thirds of them did not feel like it was safe for them to talk to somebody in their church. They thought they were going to be judged. They thought they were going to be condemned for that. Or if they've already had an abortion, they feel like they're going to be judged and condemned. So they don't share it. Um, And so um, we need to become really good at listening and really good at hearing people's hearts and not judging them. Which um, I think it's easier the more you do it. It's like working a muscle. I I don't work out, but if I did, I imagine that it would get easier. (laughs) Listening's the same. (laughs) I just outed myself there. That's cool.
0: (laughs) I'm gonna let you keep talking. I'm not gonna say (laughs) that.
1: Yep, leave it alone, Richard. (laughs) Um, there's a quote that says being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, it's almost indistinguishable. Um, Mm. And I think that's what we get to do. Like we get to listen and we get to hear, and that is going to show people that we love them. And that is going to cause them to.
0: Well, and I think that's such a human experience too. I think if you, if you were to think about um, your life and think about the thing you were most ashamed about or something you had done, like, when someone just listens Mm -hmm. and doesn't like pull out seven reasons why you're wrong or seven scriptures on like, and those things are vitally important, but there's something about that moment Mm -hmm. where if you just heard and hugged, Mm -hmm. like that, that brings so much to the table for the relationship in the future. It really is. That makes a ton of sense.
1: Yep. Um, So those are two things. Remembering who, remembering our humanity being a good listener, um, and I think the next one is kind of where you put your skin put the skin in the game. Um, there's generosity, like I've heard people say, "Well, I'll adopt the baby, and I think that's beautiful, and that's great. Um, there's a lot of women from my experience that um, feel like adoption is almost worse than hmm. abortion because um, it's just scary and it's unknown, and it has a bad rap in the media and so um, so. It would be generous to offer to adopt, but there's a level of like sacrificial generosity that we can offer, which is like, hey, I have a room in my house. Would you come fill it? Would you be willing to live with us? Can you come over every Sunday night for dinner? Because we want you to be a part of our family, and we know this is hard. And um, so I, I think that is a level of generosity that the church can, like, that's easy, Our homes, tangible. hospitality. Yeah, yeah. Like, Um, really getting into it and, like, offering up ourselves as, um, and I think when you do that as individuals, the church as a culture changes because sacrificial generosity becomes the lifestyle that we're all living together, so. Yeah.
0: yeah. I love that. I love sitting and listening. I love uh, the the encouragement to say, look, invite them into your home. Mm -hmm. Have dinner with them. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you've got a spare room, and you know, if you, it's one thing to say to a mom, listen, I'll adopt, I'll adopt your baby. And she's like, well, I'm homeless. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'm gonna be around in nine months. I don't know if I'm gonna be here. Like it's something totally different to say, we will adopt, but we also wanna adopt you. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't, want, we don't want just the product. We want you as well. And so uh, I love that. And I, I mean, I hope as, you, as you're all thinking uh, that uh, the Lord is putting on your heart ways that you can pray, ways that you can be involved and in, in ways that you can leverage part of who you are. Jen, how can we pray for you as a church, but also, what does it look like for us to come alongside as a church? Uh, you have, you have a, a booth out there from mm-hmm. which half of the Church of the Gates women will be there or your staff. <laughs> uh, what does it look like? What, how can we pray for and support you all
1: um, i I think it's easy to forget that we are on the front lines, and there is um, not a day that goes by that like um, we have people that come in are, that are hurting and broken and in pain. And um, it is only by the grace of God that me and the staff know what we're doing. <laughs> um, and so prayers for that. Um, yeah. It also can be really exhausting. Um, knowing that the ultrasound we just had come in is probably already has her appointment scheduled to have an abortion. And it's only going to be an act of God which it should be, right? It's nothing that we can do to change her mind, but that we don't hold it as though it's our own, which can be really easy to do. Like, oh, if I would have just said this, maybe she would have changed her mind. And um, so prayers for us to do that well. yeah. uh, yeah.
0: That's a huge deal. Yeah. Confronted with hardship and trauma and not like to be able to process them well, but also stay disconnected enough to give God like right. all of the, all of the power to move and all that's, that's yeah. a big deal Yeah, to know exactly what to say. And yeah.
1: Yep. I heard it once at a, a foster parent conference. It's having a thick skin, but a tender heart. Yeah. So um, that's what we get to do every day. And Love it. Yeah.
0: Uh, let, me, let me add these to the list. Okay. Uh, I'd love for all of you who are interested to know more about CareNet uh, to go to the table in the lobby and speak with one of the ladies. Uh, I, I'm going to say this, too. Your exam table is, like, from the 1980s uh, or 1880s, yeah. something like that.
1: It's dusty rose. It's
0: beautiful. Right. <laughs> they need a new exam <laughs> table. It's $1,500. That's, like, that is not a ton of money uh, that collectively our church could help with that. You go and uh, drop some money on that table or whatever. They need a new, they need a new uh, uh, ultrasound machine uh, that I think Carrie's keeping that together with Legos uh, <laughs> and, and glue, craggle. Um, that's thirty to $50,000. I'm not saying we gotta meet that need, but I'm saying some of us in the room probably could. And I'd love for you to pray about and consider being a part of not only like men mentoring or or mentoring these women or donating the four hundred and ninety-two thousand diapers we're going to need for this year, yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> clothes like whatever. I just there's a myriad of ways you can have skin in the game, and then be the person who's willing to listen. Mm-hmm. Be the person who, when someone comes to you and says that, you say thanks for trusting me with that, and you give them a hug.
1: Yeah,
0: like. There's, there's a way for this church to become, continually become that. Yeah. And so Jen, I, I'd love to pray for you and your staff, uh, and then uh, I just want to say this, uh, just before we close, like, Jesus forgives sin. Mm-hmm. That's what he does. And so like if you're here uh, and you're a woman and you've had an abortion, I want to say like you're not other here. Mm-hmm. You're not other. And Jesus forgives. That's what He came to do. Died on the cross that your sin could be forgiven and and my sin could be forgiven. Right. And so, like, if you don't know who Jesus is, the best thing you could do today, man or woman, is to come to Him to give your life to Him, repent of sin, and find salvation in eternity. Uh, and man, if you if you've been in one of these situations and you're hurting and and you don't know where to go, I know where to go to that table to talk to Jen. <laughs> right. Yeah. After this. So, they'd love to chat with you. Uh, church, like. There there are very few things that seem like an easy transference of loving your neighbor. This is one of them. I'm going to pray for Jen, but I'm going to pray for us, that we would uh, find ways to involve ourselves in this in personal, tangible ways. God, we are grateful, grateful for Jen and her staff, uh, grateful that you have uh, put them on the front lines uh, of really gritty, hard ministry, knowing some of the stories uh, of the men and women who come in, in really hard places, and some of that of their own making, God. Would you, would you give Jen and her team uh, discernment, compassion? Would you give them wisdom beyond their means? Uh, that when people walk in there, uh, they sense you there. They don't know what it is. They, they, can't, they can't put words to it, but their soul testifies that there is something there that is deeper, more metaphysical, spiritual. So I a pray for Jen. Would you cover her leadership? Would you give her wisdom and courage? Uh, would you give uh, that team wisdom and courage to know what to say and how to love? And God, how to appropriately uh, love but not take on everything. What a hard thing that is to be compassionately involved and somehow separated. Uh, So God, I pray that you would, uh, that they would be like Jesus. They would run towards people in compassion Ready, uh, ready to preach the gospel, ready to provide real tangible help. And God, for our church, your church, this church, would you make us a people who desire to listen, who desire to accept, who desire to preach your word, uh, but also model your compassion. God, help us to do that in ways that are courageous. God, I, I pray even here, there are people who are uh, moved towards generosity, whether that's of their time, of their house, of, of their wallet. God, or, or of prayer. And I just pray that you would make this place a safe haven for those who have experienced hardship, a safe haven for those who are sinners, that they may find the gospel of Jesus Christ here, and they may find uh, your redemption. God, we pray these things, knowing you can do more than we can ask or think, through the power of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon podcast from Church of the Gates. For more information about our church, or to connect with us about what you've just heard, please visit churchinmissoula.com.